This is a show about facing fear, unlocking courage, and taking action. Courage isn't necessarily a daunting thing. It's going to give you more purpose. It's going to give you more drive. It feels like making a courageous decision is going to get you closer to who you aspire to be. It's knowledge plus faith plus action equals courage. You're never going to wipe out stress. It's not even a good idea for us to try to eradicate stress in our lives. Stress helps us grow, but we need recovery that's commensurate with the level of stress that we're dealing with. And that's how growth occurs. It's quite funny that you and I are having this chat today. And and I'll, I'll, I'll say that the universe kind of decided to reconnect us. And I want to go back to the beginning because when I was between act breaks in, in my last life to this life, you were one of the first guys that I came in touch with. And like we went and had coffee and I really wasn't sure about this journey that I was going on to be, if I'm just being brutally honest here. And now fast forward to today, when I think about courageous as a company, like the line that I use to describe our business is your future is safe with change. Like you don't get a say on change. Like change is happening whether you like it or not. And you, Adam Markle, have a book called Change Proof that's out. And for those of you who can't see, Adam is wearing a t-shirt right now that says resilience. And there is this amazing relationship between when it's time to be resilient and when it's time to be courageous. And before I bring Adam in, like I just want to say, like, again, you don't get a say on change. It's happening whether you like it or not. And I always used to say that when when you drive change, that's courage. But when change drives you and how you respond, that's resilience. Now, that's my take, Adam, but I'd love to hear your take. Really happy to be joined by Adam Markle. How are you, my man? Oh, buddy, I, I couldn't be happier, actually. I mean, I'd like to I'd like to make room for more happiness i'm happy to be more happy <laughs> but, but in this moment I, I can't i can't picture anything missing and that's just a great feeling i guess that's like the the definition of happy new year so happy happy 23 by the way yeah Here we are are you a re, are you a resolutions guy no but let me ask you quick just as the audience goes is it, is it okay to to use expletive here and there of, of course Okay, yeah, no, I don't. I don't believe in fucking resolutions. I think they don't work. <laughs> I, every every evidence you could ever you know want or need to have to point to is that they don't work. So no, I I don't waste my time with resolutions. Okay, so when you go into a new year, it's just it's just another day of the calendar, and here we go, and that's that. No, I, quite the opposite. Wow, this is so interesting. I love where we're starting. So I do have an end of the year ritual and it's not just my own, but, but I've in, inculcated or indoctrinated the family. I roped the family into doing this for a bunch of years too. And I'll, I'll share what that is in a moment. But I also believe that if we, if we wait till moments like the end of the year or these sort of special occasions to create our quote resolutions or our changes or our goals or whatever you want to, you know, term it then then we're missing the other opportunities maybe 364 other opportunities to set the coordinates for how you want your life or your business to be 
And I, again, that's, I was a lawyer for 18 years. There's no, to me, there's just no logic in that approach. All right. How does somebody go? I mean, look, I come from lawyers. All right. So I, I, I get it. Right. My, I, po- my apologies. No, it's great. I feel protected. I, there's a safety to that. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. That's that. There's not, not, not like, it's not in the like fear and who's coming for me. I, I just, it's, there's, there's joy in being surrounded by all sorts of different types of like environmental law, family law, corporate no, law. No, brother, that's the law. I mean, that, that feeds into so much of my own tale, if you will. I gave a TED talk some years ago about this, where I, I was sort of documenting for this audience, this unnamed audience, who, who I'd been in, in my transition times in life and, and in writing a book called pivot, which was my first book. I talk about that transition out of the law and into the life that I'm currently leading. And, and as part of that, I I was saying, you know, the law, the law fit well for me at a certain point in my own development, because I was a fearful person. I'm still a fearful person more than I want to be. And that's part of my, my path. We can talk about that. But at that moment, at that time in my life, I was really a fearful person. And the way that I combated that fear was to be on guard all the time, to be vigilant. Mm. And be, by being a lawyer, I had so much more safety. I felt as though I had the safety that I was craving and then I realized that that was all just a facade. That was all just a mirage, an illusion. And, and at that at that point, when I realized that being a lawyer wasn't bringing me, wasn't wasn't the answer to the issue of fear, then I was able to make a transition out of that uh, out of that work, which wasn't the right work for me after a you know point in time. Yeah. So let's go back to that. Though, like, if, would you unpack that and you think about how you got to where you are now? Because you. I mean, both of us were East Coast guys for a long time. Totally. So I made I made my move out west in 04. And I, to be honest, I thought that this was like, oh, cute little San Diego. I'm, this is a pit stop, and then I'm going to go to L.A. And, you know, same thing. I'm writing my book. The My book was a – the initial thought was it was a devious attempt as a marketing tool to position my business. And – it sounds slightly similar. Do you tell me if I'm on or off of this? I realized I wrote Return on Courage first because I needed the book. I didn't know that when I started it. But once I went into it, I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, I'm writing this book first because I need it. And then off we go. But how did you get to San Diego? Give me a little bit more on the shift, the pivot, so to speak, if you don't mind, from last life to this life. I think I, if the first thoughts about San Diego were in a Bruce Springsteen song. I'm trying to remember that it might've been even, it might've been Rosalita actually, where uh, he talks about this, this little club, people play guitars all night and all day. And, and it's in this little you know place, San Diego. So it could have been that that was an early influence, but, but I mean, I fell in love with the place. We, we came out here, Randy, my wife and I, and, and my in-laws who are, are now past, but I was super close with them. We used to vacation together which now our kids vacation with us. So it's, you know, apple in the tree thing. But we came out and I just literally fell in love with the joint. I mean, like this, this, this place is everything I want in life. I want to, I want to go, I'm going to, I'm going to go to another lyric. This is so funny, but I want to, I want to, I want to go someplace where the weather suits my clothes. And it's an Mm. old, an old song. Right. And, 
And that's my, that was my, my in, internally was the antidote to all the, the stress, to all the, the anxiety, to the anger that I felt living in New York, New York and New Jersey. And I was, you know, I was equipped to do that. I grew up in that environment. I, I learned how to be not just somebody that could survive in that, you know, jungle, but could also thrive in that, in that environment. And I wanted, I wanted almost the opposite of it. I wanted to get, find peace of mind. You know, <laughs> again, that's a Boston tune, you know, like I, that's, I would play these songs and, and they were, they were signaling that, on some level that that a change was needed that a change was coming and i i wanted to find that peace of mind and san diego seemed like the place that i could do that and that was what we ultimately ended up creating right but but i also want to say that that it's become clear to me ever since we moved to san diego which is about 10 years ago now that wherever we go there we are you know that's that's the truth of it. You don't you don't escape yourself. You don't ever escape yourself, nor should we want to, nor do I want to. But at that time, I was looking for for a great escape and I found it and we've made a great life out here. So, it, it you know, the, the story is is taking some good turns, but not without some some dark, dark moments as well. So. So how, how did you get from the guy talking about pivots to a guy wearing a T-shirt that says resilience? <laughs> that's good well i want to think about that for a second i mean i wrote this book pivot similarly to you not not as a marketing thing initially although i'm all in favor of the marketing side um and we've certainly used it for that but i started writing this book for my for our kids like brandy and I, we have four four kids and and i was i found myself at a certain point in time in my life lying on a on a gurney in freehold medical center like on a on a hospital gurney and i had the electrode stuck to my chest and i'm sweating profusely and talk about fear i i feared i would never see my kids again like i was never gonna i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna leave the hospital and my wife was there right next to me too watching me go through this and you know it turned out that i i wasn't having the heart attack i thought i was having i was having it and all the people listening to this now they could fill in the blank i wasn't having a heart attack i was having a what uh, you heard it right a panic attack mm. <laughs> an anxiety attack that was you know brought on by my inability to resolve stress and resolve the repressed emotions that that i wasn't even aware of frankly it was that's a lot of things with our suppressed or repressed emotions we don't often even have an awareness that that's what we're up to like our, our, we're just doing it and we do it from such an early age that we don't even know that we're doing it it's just subconscious it's unconscious it's freud's you know one of great great uh thinkers and researchers who i think many people associate with psychotherapy but you know i think his early his early con contribution it's still a lasting contribution is that that our emotions get expressed but they don't get expressed when we're conscious, when we're awake, often our emotions are getting expressed in other in other ways. So I wasn't dealing with any of that shit. And I ended up in this emergency room and thinking I was going to die only to find out that I wasn't that that was, you know, the good news was I was just having a panic attack. But even that, which was such a massive relief to me for a couple of weeks, I, I was like, you know, clear eyed and grateful and and and. You know, nothing could kind of get me, you know, get me out of out of that that blissful 
happy or, or grateful state. But then I forgot about it. You know, three weeks later, I was back to running on the treadmill, man, just a little, little rat, rat on the wheel, working like, you know, the usual 80, 90 kind of hours a week and all to try to find an escape again, like I'll make enough money at some point or I'll have enough security. I'll feel safe enough at some point to just be able to escape this life that didn't feel like the life that I, that I envisioned or wanted even and i don't mean the, my family it was so you know, i'm married to to randy now it's more than 30 years and and our kids are are out of the house and healthy and happy and or productive let's say and and making their way and and all that good stuff like i was grateful for them the whole way through i was grateful for my life but i was still miserable and that's a weird place to be right i don't know if you've ever if you've ever felt that way too like you realize on the one hand you have so many blessings and there's so much that you're you you appreciate and yet you're in some pain like emotional or mental pain at the same time it's fucking it's weird so i want to know like because i i want to answer that like i'm not i don't want to duck this how old were you when this happened i want to say or how how recent yeah it's probably probably in my really early 40s is when this happened okay so so i have a seven-year-old and a ten-year-old so and since i've been married also to a randy by the way and it's been 12 years she we made a decision when our first you know 12 years ago when our son was born that we were lucky enough that someone in our family could raise our kids that that's what we were going to do so that was a choice that we made and it was a choice. It, and I think a lot of this comes down to choice. And sometimes you make choices and it still doesn't feel like a choice. Like I don't, if I want, if I want to live in this special place, someone has to make money. That, that would be me. So I definitely feel the burden and the stress of trying to keep up, make it live here. And this idea of envisioning what success looks like and having enough money to live the life I want to live is real. And I have, you know, I can't explain why ideas come into my mind, probably like how you feel with ideas that come into your mind. I definitely believe in a higher power. I definitely believe like even courage for me, like it's not about me. If I can, if I can nudge someone else to go for it and do it, in this lifetime, I'm all in on that. Doesn't mean it isn't exhausting. It doesn't mean like, why me? Like all the the toll that comes to it as the only person making money in this family. So all of the anxiety that can come, I'm still human. I still feel all of those things. They're still very real. Is that gonna get, uh, get in the way of my purpose? I don't think so. I'm grateful that I can at least step out of myself, look back at myself and go, this is the thing I'm gonna do in my life. And it wasn't always that way. And by the way, I was 40 when I figured this out for me. So the first 40 years was like fumbling through life. I wanted to entertain people. I wanted to be creative and I wanted to get paid to do all that. And then it's like now like, oh my gosh, it's like, I know I'm on my path. It's still messy as all hell. 
No way am I going to say it's figured out. But I'm at peace with the the bumps and the bruises that go along with it. I think I'm answering some of what you're asking. And it's like, I still feel it. I still feel the same things that you feel. I'm just happy that I found a lane for me. It's just not a clear lane. There's turbulence along the way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that anybody's ever going to find a a lane that doesn't have or a clear clear or clean air the whole way through it doesn't work like that it's not it's not what would serve us best if it did even work like that which it doesn't so i don't i don't know that that's again logically speaking why 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 go after something that's unattainable i mean that's a that's its own misery that's its own suffering people who are chasing <laughs> after fucking things that don't make sense to chase after and I'm not saying don't shoot for the stars and miss and hit the moon stuff. I, I mean, just don't go after things that don't that are unattainable. So a lot of the work we do today in regard to change is done in a in a corporate environment. I've spent plenty of time in the personal development arena. I ran a company in that space for a bunch of years as I started writing these books and started speaking and whatnot. And I I find that our our greatest ripple effect is actually in the workplace. This a lot of people in that space to begin with and it's where people spend the majority of their lives anyway and so if we can help them to be more productive there happier there more engaged there if if we can help them to be more resilient in the face of ever ever uh, consistent change and disruption well then then we feel like we're we're making a, a difference so one of the things that i deep kind of call BS on in that space is this concept of work-life balance because there's a thing that people chase after all the time. And and I don't mean in like a in you know in a personal growth space. I mean in the business development space. Everywhere you see people talking about work-life balance. And that's just a, such a crock. You know, why chase after again? Why go after something that's not attainable? You know, balance, think about balance. What's a great example of balance? I think of like the high wire, the tight rope. You know, I think of that French guy who his right. name is escaping me right now, who literally when the twin towers were standing, this this flipping courageous, like talk about <laughs> courage, right? This guy strung a wire between the the north and south twin towers in lower Manhattan and walked on that tightrope for a long ass time and didn't fall. And the police were waiting for him, of course, you know, when when he, you know, got off. And maybe you can even look up and as we're talking, see the first name. Philippe Petit, of course. It's like the most French name you've ever heard in your whole The life. most French name ever, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and that's what Philippe did, right? I mean, so that's to me what balance looks like. At its best, it is temporary. At its best, it is it is fleeting. And, and if what we want is to find something that's more ephemeral, more lasting, longevity that we, that we seek for our happiness, for our well-being, for, for all that stuff, then we have to reframe that. And I don't mean in just a superficial, you know, kind of splitting hairs way. I mean, it's not balance we're after. You don't salt and pepper your food in the exact same proportion, do you? No, nobody does that. I mean, when I was younger, I used to use a lot of salt. And now that I'm a little older, I use much more pepper and very little salt, you know, but whatever it is, it's a blend. It's a mix. 
And the word for that in Eastern terminology, yin and yang, is not a symbol for balance. Anyway, it's a symbol for harmony. That's what we're looking to create is harmony. And, and to me, that's, again, one of those examples where people chase after something for sometimes a whole lifetime only to find that it's 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 not attainable and that's that can be that could be dis disappointing <laughs> well i find it i find it exhausting and and I, and to me the way that work life balance the you know in some ways we're both fluent in subtext you know i as a guy that came out of advertising i was always taught to hear what's not said so as an observationalist when i hear someone say work life balance I also sadly hear like, I'm going to bust my ass at work, right? I'm going to grind it out, even though I don't like it <laughs> that much. Yeah, maybe, maybe I like the money that comes from it. But like, finally, finally, when it's all done, those 80 hours, I'm going to rest for 16 hours. And, and that's where my happiness will come in that small little window where I can try to recover from whatever just happened during the week. And so... I will say my harmony comes from surrounding myself with courageous people. Courageous to me is very much like skiing. It's relative. If I can get you to the mountain, whether you're a bunny slope or a black diamond version of it, then there's a willingness I'm in. I don't like spending a lot of time with people, unfortunately, that, I mean, look, if you're listening to this podcast, obviously you, there's part of you that wants to be, you know, build the courage muscle and build the resilience muscle. And that's the type of people I want to spend my time with. And the good news is there's 340 million of us here in the U S I don't have to be best friends with everybody for you. Resilience is also a muscle. And you talked about like, you kind of need to build the muscle before you need it. In some ways it's an insurance policy. When you work with these teams, how does it start? Do they, do they already feel resilient? Do they get, it's not just about them being resilient, but them plus their teammates and what happens when they all come together? Like, what does that look like when you're brought in? Yeah, I mean, it's it's establishing a baseline to begin with. So we have to talk in in the same, we have to use the same language and understand the language together. And so that's that's kind of the first thing is, what is resilience and what isn't it? we have to know what it's not and and it is not what it was so i refer i like to think of this as sort of the 20th century 21st century distinction things were were different last century and i don't mean just from from the standpoint of what uh you know what the what the calendar tells us but every everything that was a norm in 1995 has has pretty much changed by this by this point you know I'll give you an example. When our first children were being born, I had a beeper, man. I was in law school and I had a beeper to tell me, like, is my wife going into labor? You know, that's, I mean, people are hopefully laughing or smiling or remembering going, oh, holy shit, I remember that, right? Like we had fax machines, like we communicated in, in these archaic or at the time were state of the art. And now they look archaic, you know, so it's, it's like they're different universes, but so what, what did it mean to be resilient in 1995? What did it look like to be resilient in 1955 or in 1855 at any point in, in terms of the context of time, resilience has meant something different. What it has meant for a very long time for a lot of people is how do I grind? How do I, I grit things out? 
How do I, if I need to grind it out, I get even more points for, for the courage to just continue to, to just grind, man, to never quit, to be that last person standing, to be the first in in the morning and the last to leave, you know, and again, it's it's like it's it's romanticized. I mean, I look at a movie like Rocky. I, I like to tell stories about Rocky and and the first movie, you know, and and Sly Stallone in that movie made in 1976 hit the theaters. I think in 77, you know, they now made like what 68 Rocky movies. <laughs> you know, like, a lot of them out there. Yeah, you know, a lot of Rocky movies, right? But he gets knocked down again and again and again. Like he gets knocked down dozens of times in that movie. And we all know, even if we don't know how many times he gets knocked down, maybe there's somebody out there who knows that we know how many times he gets up. Everybody knows how many times he gets up, right? Every freaking time. And so for so many people, they look at resilience as that that's the paradigm, if you will, that you just keep moving forward. And, and that is perpetuating to have that model of resilience in the 21st century, which it cannot exist in this, in this environment, in the same way that it could have existed when we didn't have cell phones attached to us, when we weren't connected to information and the internet and our job and our business and our, our colleagues and everybody in the world for crying out loud, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we, we cannot continue to run that old program on just gritting it out and no disrespect to Angela Duckworth or the grit kind of philosophy, et cetera. You know, it's, that is ultimately only going to lead to the word that you said earlier. It leads to exhaustion. It leads to burnout. It leads to, to ultimately to a, a level of depletion mentally, emotionally, physically, and even spiritually that, that is the reason the underlying cause, if you will, of the great resignation, quiet quitting, and any other term that we're going to give to a workforce that is just fed up with being used as as in in a way that that is not in harmony with what they require in their own in their lives at this moment in time. And again, you know, would have been easier in 1995 to separate. Or to find some some interplay between work and 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 non-work. Although when I had my my moments early on in my my law career, I was already struggling with that you know with that whole concept. So when we go into an organization, the first thing we want to do is understand that resilience is not about endurance. It's not about how we endure. It's about how we restore. It is about recovery. It is about creating rituals on a daily basis micro rituals and and ones that are are longer and 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 more involved as well that al allow us to recover it is about not bouncing back as the old paradigm might suggest it's about bouncing forward and that's about being able to become stronger in the face of the stress because stress is not the enemy we can, again chasing things that don't make sense to, you know that we're never going to attain you're never going to wipe out stress we never it's not even a good idea for us to try to eradicate stress in our lives stress helps us grow but we need recovery that's commensurate with the level of stress that we're dealing with and that's how growth occurs and so these are nuances on some level. It's redefining language and it's creating a baseline for where we're starting. So like the very first thing we'll have a, an organization do is something that your your folks can do right now. It's it's we've set this up. It's entirely free. It takes three minutes to find out how resilient you are in the in a snapshot moment, 
mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And people can go to rankmyresilience.com and three minutes later, they'll get a score in each of those four areas to see what holistically their own level of resilience looks like in this moment. I love that. Yeah, Adam, I guess I want to go back to the, in, in some ways I'm going back to your last life, not lawyer life, but personal development life. And second, the idea that harmony is attainable for anybody who, once they know their resilience level, like let's just say, okay, let's go back to Rocky. What if I'm in the wrong ring? I mean, you're coming in now from a corporate level and you're going to help a team. It sounds like you're going to like bring clarity, establish a language and lexicon that everybody can play off of. But like, what happens when I realize I, I, I think I'm resilient, but I'm just not passionate about this, this ring anymore. How often is that happening when you're going into a corporation? Let's say you're working with like a team of 12. I have to imagine there's one or two people that are going to have an aha moment. They're just like, get me off the ride. Does that happen? Is that an unspoken thing that no one wants to talk about? I mean, the the team norms is 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 the the term we sometimes use for this idea of getting everybody on that same that same page the you know the same sheet of music when it comes to stuff and often it's in the exploring what that looks like how we see the world you know our literal worldview where we see people that might not look like a great fit but that's just the start that's the beginning of the story because as as we start to explore these things, we also find that often there are leaders within that organization who've been modeling things that led people to believe that that this is what ought to be done, this is what should be done, this is the requirements here to work here. And and when we can identify that and we do, then then we can see that the environment, that there's an opportunity for the environment to actually shift. And then the people that saw that might have Self, been self-selecting out or showing the signs that they might not be a good fit, then are not necessarily in the same position that they were in before that, meaning that they might not need to leave. They might not have to go find some greener grass because again, it's one of those things we chase. We chase the green grass when the grass is never going to be greener somewhere else. I'm not saying you shouldn't change or make a, a shift or pivot. I wrote a book about pivoting. But what I can say, and I often will say this to either folks that ask me this question directly, or sometimes when I'm in a group of people that are similar to the, the colleagues I used to have in the law, you know, accountants and engineers and people and, and lawyers and the like, and bankers sometimes too. It's like, I didn't need to quit the law. They'll say to me, sometimes people say, did you need to quit? I mean, did you need to pivot like your book said out of practicing law? Like, no, I didn't. I, I mean, I did, and I'm glad I did, but the reason I did was because I was ill-equipped at that time to make that environment what would sustain me. That environment was killing me. I knew it was killing me, and I loved my family, and I loved my own life too much to allow that to happen, to, to end up like some of the people I'd seen who die from a heart attack or get cancer. It worked a whole freaking lives and they get to be 60 some years old and then they're in a health issue. And so all the money that they saved or all the money they made is useless to them because their health sucks. 
Now, nobody wants to end up like that. And I was at least smart enough. I was an idiot in a lot of ways, but man, I was at least smart enough to recognize in my 40s that I didn't want that to be my destiny. So, you know, the answer is, yeah, there's always going to be people that are on a team that might not, you know, that this might not be their ring. Like you said, to put up, to to stand in that ring might not be, you know, their destiny or what have you. But often what I find is that the ring itself has been designed poorly. And when the ring is designed poorly, when, when people don't have permission, I'll give you a good concrete example here. We talk about resilience and how it is that we we create greater well-being because for the most part, that's the overall overarching brand promise for our company is that we're in the corporate well-being business. That's what we do. We help individuals and organizations develop greater resilience and well-being, and therefore they their performance is better, their longevity is better, all these ripple effect things, right? But we find that when we get in there, that the environment, the ring, is set up for depletion. It's set up for exhaustion. It's set up with this old paradigm of what it looks like to be successful. So a person, let's say, that is feeling challenged in, in some of the ways I was feeling challenged, you know, like their head, they, they, they're, they're having thoughts that are anxious thoughts, which is really anxiety, just the anticipation of pain. So they're just like anticipating pain here and there and, and fear in fear of it, et cetera. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do about it. So they want to go to therapy, but they can't make time for therapy. And there's no permission, let's say within their organization that if you, if you're feeling this way, don't go talk. I mean, you can go talk to the HR person, but that HR person is not, not going to be your therapist because that same HR person might fire you. <laughs> they might be doing your exit interview, right? They're, they're responsible for so many different things. They're not your therapist, but you need to see a therapist. But if there's no permission to do those kind of things, if people aren't being encouraged to take care of themselves in, the, in those ways, well, then the ring is the wrong ring. That means you don't need to lose your talent. Just change the ring. As you know, easier said than done, but also possible. I mean, yeah. I think both of us are guys that have changed rings. And by the way, I'm way better in this new life. I didn't leave my last life behind, by the way. I use all those skills, all those muscles. And even when I was terrified and scared to move into this new world, I still took all of what I learned from that last life into this life. Would you let's talk about change? I want to just quick say one just when I say change the ring, I mean, I don't mean literally get out and go find another ring. You could do that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm saying that the ring itself, the environment, the culture, we'll call it, it, it that's possible to change. And and so I and I would have maybe bet differently about that some years ago, honestly. Yeah. I would have said, yeah, companies that's. That's just not, you know, it's an extraction model, to use my son-in-law's term, an extraction model. So basically, they're just trying to try to suck as much as they can out of a person. And 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 wherever that person ends up, they end up. You know, if they're if they're resilient for whatever reason they're resilient, great. If they're not, well, then they end up on the side of the road somewhere. They end up in a ditch. They end up leaving. Whatever. It's not my business. Our business is to produce a profit for our shareholders, and that's it. And what I've seen more recently, and I have evidence to prove it because of the organizations that have hired us, frankly, to do this, is that 
they understand that when people are are leaving at the at the level that they leave are disconnected at the level they're disconnected disengaged at the level they are not only is it bad for business but it's a it's a harbinger of something to, that will only get worse in the future if we don't recognize and make some some pivots to the way we do things now that's what i meant about changing rings changing the ring Wow. Yeah. See, and I was like, no, I am literally changing my ring. And, and, <laughs> and for me, I, I do wonder, you know, this is, this is a rabbit hole question and we only have so much time, but I, in some ways you can make a case. I have a lot of faith in the next generation leader. Cause I think there's no way that they're just more purpose centered. And that, to, to be honest, I think they think, my generation messed up their world because they were cold because the environments were off because it was all about money. And I'm not saying that this doesn't exist still in, in corporate America. A lot of this does still exist. However, I do think this next generation that does wear their values on their sleeves will be a more empathetic environment to work in. And it won't just be about, you know, making money. It's going to be all the above. So I'm curious, one, no doubt there are many cultures that need resilience today. Two, in the future, if we have more heart-centered leaders running businesses, how does resilience play in those environments? So if we had a time machine and we were going to go a decade into the future, maybe it's 20 years in the future, talk me through like what you see in business. What's, what do you think is going to change? Yeah, it's a future of work conversation. And I'll say that just at 30,000 feet, the future is net positive. <laughs> and and I say that only because we can learn from history and, and learning from history is to learn that the future is always net positive. Now, I'm not Pollyanna. I have <laughs> my sit. I got my cynical moments. I grew up in the city of New York and where it was a pretty rugged environment. I mean, <laughs> so I've seen some I've seen some bad stuff just just to be clear about it. I'm pragmatic in my approach and I see the future as net positive. And that is that we're we are an evolutionary society or as an organism as a species our world our humans are are always evolving and I believe in in what you call the greater power. I don't mind saying I'm a god guy. I just use that word. I'm okay with that word because I, I haven't spent a whole lot of time in religion and I know some people get triggered by that. Some people love it and they're all down like, great, so use the word God. And some other people are triggered by it because just having spent a lot of time in, in more dogmatic environments, that word has a lot of charge to it. So I get it. And I'm not being, I don't want to be disres disrespectful about that. But for me, I, I believe in, in a unifying source of everything that, there's not randomness. It's that things connect. It's just like if we can't see the connections, that doesn't mean the world is random. It means we just lack in the insight to see the, to see the connectedness. Mm. So I know that we're we're moving. That the universe is expanding. Everything is moving into into an expansion of some sort, and things change in that environment. And some things that change we don't like, and and other things we do like and some things it's just too early to know for ourselves how we feel about it or what it's going to mean to us because in the end 
of the day, a psychologist told me recently, I, I'll repeat this. It's like we got a an ADT system in our head 24-7. Like this is always that's what our head is looking for is where's where where do I have to be on guard? Where do I need to be, you know, alert and 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 aware? And that's fine in so far as alertness and, and awareness are are a sort of a default setting, if you will. But I think we've tipped over and a lot of people are not just in in that in that alert or aware stage but i think they're they're hypersensitive to change more so now than ever before and they're anxious about it buddy they're like they're on edge the cortisol the adrenaline is in there you know it's constantly kind of coursing and and the anger that we're seeing the division while can we can certainly point the fingers at politics and point the fingers at social media and and a lot of things and i'm not saying we shouldn't because there's bear responsibility we're in an evolutionary stage where there's just a lot of anger that that i think is is going to come to some natural kind of a head and people will do what people do which is they they have to check in they check in every 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 minute of the day it's just a question of whether we're checking in consciously and going you know do i like the way i feel do i like how i'm experiencing my life right now and i think a more and more people are going to feel they don't like what it feels like to be almost constantly triggered and almost constantly in a state of either low level anxiety or anger. And then they'll, and then they'll, and then they will do what they, what we have the freedom to do, brother. Right. That that's, you know, you're not going to, again, no, no politics here. You're not going to legislate away big tech or the 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 conflict between uh transformational technology and and profit and and the the economics of it all right what's good for a company that that gets us gets our eyeballs and what's good for the eyeballs the people who have the eyeballs are are in conflict yeah in, no no doubt we're not going to solve that but when the people with the eyeballs and the ears and the senses decide for themselves as they will that they don't want to consume certain things i mean i just one quick digression because you asked me about the future and, and i'm a hopeful person my wife reminds me a lot she says do you have a hopeful heart right now because i can be a i can be a son of a bitch i can be nasty angry i mean i get triggered you know back to moments when i was 25 years old i just get out of those moments so much quicker now i don't go down that rabbit hole for very long but she sometimes said to me you having is it, you have a hopeful heart right this moment <laughs> you know i was reading in, in the paper two weeks ago or so about this group of kids uh high school students in in manhattan and i think they called some they created something called the ludite society it's this little club right where some one kid decided that she didn't want to have a smartphone anymore because she's just like self-loathing all the time man looking at instagram and seeing everybody else has got everything and she's got less you know she just said this this sucks so she got rid of it and then another kid joined her and then they created a club and they called it the ludite site and now there's dozens of kids that got rid of their smartphones but their parents freaked out their parents freaked out why and I, this is blowing my mind because our kids are all older. We didn't have our kids have smartphones when they were they were younger. They were they were, you know they were already past that. So it was like the parents are tracking their movements through the cell phone. So 
That's their way of knowing every moment of the day where their kids are. Like, holy smokes. I didn't realize that these kids are all got tracking devices on them, right? So the kids got rid of these things and the parents freaked out. So what ended up happening in the compromise was that they got flip phones. So there's a whole group of kids running around in, in, in Manhattan that are not accessing the internet, are not looking at these apps, are not comparing themselves endlessly right. to people and, and places and standards and lies, a lot of it, you know, or half-truths. You know, they're not doing any of that. They've just got flip phones in case they need to call home and see whether or not they can go over to Johnny's house for dinner, you know, or whatever, like when we were kids. And that used to be like, you know, you'd have to dial a phone or, or scream out, the you know, like to your parents up in the, in the in the apartment house right and that's gives me great hope brother that that's what the future can look like well to me it's it's funny the word change you talked about it earlier it does it does send the sirens blaring for many and you know you try to do i don't know how you feel about this i i try to do my part like where can i help somebody get their mindset just a little bit you know, tweak it a little bit so they're not freaking out. And one of the things I was thinking about recently was like, how come when you see the word change, you think of scary or you think of fear? Like we need to change. This organization needs to change. But when somebody says, hey, you've been handpicked to lead something new, suddenly it's exciting. There's joy. Hey, this is a new project. Here's your budget. Come back and let me know what, where we should take this. We need to change. You're on your back foot. Fear, anxiety, scary. Hey, we, you get to lead something new. There's joy there. There's excitement. There's opportunity. One is a, an exercise in speculation, change, right? Fear, I'm going to get fired. One is an exercise in visualization, leaning forward, new, let's go forward, excitement. And so, for any listener, I still think, you know, happy new year, right? It's not happy change year. It's happy new year, right? As you think about what you want to take on that's new and the excitement that comes from that, whether you need the courage muscle or the resilience muscle, you know, maybe that's where it starts is like, you get to decide what's new for you. Now, Adam is holding his book, Change Proof. Talk to me first about like, where can people find the book? Adam, where can people learn a little bit more about you? And again, give me the, I want to go do my, my rating on resilience. Where do I go again? Oh, way cool. Yeah. I want to, I'm going to get to see your results. That's awesome. Rank my resilience, <laughs> rank my resilience.com. We'll get to see. Yeah. That's going to be fun. Actually. We've had more than 5,000 business leaders across the globe take this thing now. So it's been, it's been a minute that we've been doing it. And it's a fun tool. The book is called Change Proof. And the subtitle is Leveraging the Power of Uncertainty to Build Long-Term Resilience. So it's just what you were just saying. It's like, it's not it's not just a, a sort of a, a form over substance uh, concept of how how we see change changes how we see the things that we're that we're looking at. I mean, that's just, you know, a, a reality of it. Uh, but how it is that you change how you see change that's that's really the the juice and that's what this book is all about it's it's how it is that you you or the teams that you lead or the team that you're a part of actually sees the the change in the way and i love the the way you language that as always i, I love your language i love your emails i love 
it's not just clever, even though there's cleverness in it. It's there's a there's a wisdom that's embedded in your writing, brother. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I, I kind of look at it through the lens of my grandmother. This is a lady who she was a secretary for most of her life. In in the world that we're living in now, 50 years later, she probably would be the CEO. I know probably a lot of people look at their grandparents or grandmothers like that too. She used to do the New York Times crossword puzzle each Sunday in pen. I mean, I still have not met anybody that does that. You know, she was an intelligent and thoughtful, caring woman, and and she would she would joke about things. She would she would and it was and there was always this cleverness, but it was not just like a cutting cleverness or a you know a taking advantage of a situation like an opportunistic cleverness. And I feel like when when I read your your work and how you frame the conversations with your podcast guests, et cetera. There's just this intelligence to it. There's a, a level of scholarship of wisdom and and it's clever. It makes me go. I always tilt my head and I go, man, that's just great languaging. You know, like the marketing in you comes out a lot. So so when you made that distinction about it, you know, change being something that we can be have expectations around and our instinct expectation wise is to fear it. You know, how's it going to affect me? How's it going to change things potentially in a way that I won't like, as opposed to, like you said, you give somebody a budget and give them your support and have and have their back in that change. And they're just like all about it. Like how, I mean, that's yeah. the changing the ring. Buddy. Totally. That's, totally. That's yeah. the environment the, the ring hasn't, the ring is the same ring. It's just changed for, and now you have permission to play a little bit more in there. Adam, man, it's, it's great to catch up. Again, people, rankmyresilience.com. Go buy the book Change Proof. It's at Amazon. I'm sure it's at adammarkle.com. And I, yeah, adammarkle.com sure, as well. I'm sure I will stumble into you at Lofty Coffee or some coffee shop or Fish 101 probably tomorrow. Happy New Year, my man. Great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. So great to have you interview me, buddy. I, I got to get you on our show so I can I can return the the great yes. favor. Here we go. Two podcasts, podcasters walk into a bar. It happens. All right, Mark, we'll be good, man. See you, brother. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Courageous Podcast. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. See you again next week.